31st official 49ers you've got mail podcast sponsored by manscaped i am joined by voice of the san francisco 49ers greg it's always good to see you greg papa uh we we've been hanging out pretty often lately we we've got to chat during state of the franchise before that we chatted after the draft before the draft how are you doing what's going on in greg papa's world I'm doing great, and you and I have been doing a lot of these over the years during that incredible run to the Super Bowl last year, at the Super Bowl, state of the franchise, all of that, but did you say this is the first ever podcast? So obviously Garoppolo is busy today, Kyle's out doing something else, John's with the family, I mean, you couldn't get a better guest, Kiana, than, than me. I feel like if you are going to start a podcast, you've got to go with a bang. And who's better? What name? Not a Jimmy Garoppolo, not a Kyle Shanahan, not a John Lynch. We want the voice of the San Francisco 49ers, Greg Papa, on the 49ers official podcast. Well, if you want a bang, he's just down the street. He's my neighbor. Is he 40? <laughs> so we can go bang, bang, not a gang. If you want a bang, you want the bang from E40, don't you? Is that really your neighbor? He is. He's my neighbor down the street. No and I, I think, you know, I, I'm not going to tell him this, but I think one time on a 49er touchdown this year, I may just go, touchdown, bang, bang, not a gang. <laughs> Maybe one time. But if I have to pay him like some huge royalty check, I'm not sure I can do that, but I, I may do that once. I think. I think he would appreciate it, and I think a lot of the faithful will appreciate it. Isn't that crazy that you create a song that's now adopted yeah. by a team, and it's kind of, it's, it was like the theme of the season. And I, if you think about it, I mean, I don't know when the last time the 49ers adopted a song like that, but they did make it to the Super Bowl. I'm not going to give Bang Bang. We Bang are the 49ers. How about that one? I, I can see Kena doing the bad dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know, maybe I should I should redo the intro to this podcast, and we should the consider bang, bang. maybe. No, yeah. we should have the fort. The uh, we are the Forty Niners as the as the we intro the 40, song. Yeah, yeah. No, Bring but I, you know what's so funny about this song is my my kids enjoyed this season, especially my daughters. Maybe it was the quarterback's influence. I'm not sure, but my my daughters got into this football season more than ever. And they went to a lot of home games. And uh, that's all we ever said around our house now, because we, you know, E40's a neighbor. My daughter went to high school with his son. His son was a pretty good high school football player in Monta Vista, out in uh, Danville. So it seems like every night we come back on bang, bang, not a gang. We'd all be chanting. So, yeah. This was a really fun season, and, and not just for fans watching, but I think also the guys on the team. I, Personally, when I look back at, at years of, of different 49ers rosters and locker rooms, I would say, and I might be a little biased because, you know, I've joined this team as of the last four years, but you have so many great personalities in that locker room. Not saying in years prior there haven't been, but there's a lot of vocal personalities, a lot of fun personalities, and social media, I think, helps that. You look at guys, and obviously the George Kittles, you look at the Kindred Bournes, a fun guy who's always dancing. George, uh, Joe Staley just left, but he's a guy that, you know, you want to see more of, you want to talk to. He's kind of a guy you'd want to go get a beer with. Yeah. I mean, and I just, to going back to your daughter's going to every game, and I would say that a lot has to do with this locker room and the people in this locker room. And the success doesn't hurt as well. Totally. I think that's why, because if you're going to get, you know, not that my daughters aren't typical sports fans, but in order to get, you know, that genre, you got to appeal to people more than just the X's and O's of football. They have to be likable people you want to root for. And there's obvious over-the-top personalities, whether it's a Quan Alexander or Richard Sherman, or, you know, obviously on offense, you got George Kittle and, and Jimmy. And they're just people that you like and you root for above and beyond. They're interesting. You want to follow them on social media. And the way I judge it, occasionally around a team where if you see a guy, say you're coming down the hallway together and you're heading like two, you know, two trains going to cross, you know, you're coming together for that collision course. There's some guys when you're on a team with those guys, maybe you duck into a door here and avoid that. 
You know, there's, there's no one, there's not a bad guy on the team where you're looking to avoid the guy or what am I going to say to this guy? They're all high quality people, which I think is a big part of it. And it starts with ownership, Al Guido, people we work daily, Bob Sargent, uh, Bob Lang and his staff, obviously Kyle and the coaching staff. They're just great people, engaging people. And I think that's a big part of sports. Yeah, you can be great, but there's a likability factor where maybe some previous 49er teams not too long ago were good and they got close, but they didn't have that likability. Likeability is so important in everything you do in life and it's critically important to sports. If you want to bring in people that aren't hardcore football fans, I think likability is so important. And if you can say one thing about this team and we'll talk about how good they are on the field, but they're also eminently likable, which is, which is such a high quality. I couldn't agree more. Now you've got me even more excited. We, we have, have some things on the docket for us to talk about, but you just got me excited all over again for football season to start. I mean, I feel like last year on that run, the 49ers were on. I didn't want the season to end. And Kyle actually spoke uh, during the state of the franchise. I want to talk about that in a moment. But he was saying, you know, he's ready for training camp to start. And uh, with that, I guess we should just jump right in. But before we get started, again, this is the 49ers official You've Got Mail podcast sponsored by Manscaped, the official below-the-waist grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with the code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. Greg, just brought it up. State of the franchise. So in case everyone hasn't seen it, it's an eight-part series where we got to speak to John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, President Al Guido, owner Jed York. We got to talk to the coordinators. We got to talk to the offense. We got to talk to members of the defense. And I feel like it was needed in this time where we haven't had football since February. And, you know, we had free agency, 49ers, you know, made a few moves here and there. We had the draft. And then with what's going on in the world, we really haven't had much. So I feel like, at least for me, State of the Franchise was a good check-in. It was good to get the pulse of the team going, coming off of that 2019 season, that Super Bowl run. But now where's the team's mindset at? How is this team approaching the 2020 season? So with that, I, I wanted to talk to you about State of the Franchise and, and what was your biggest takeaway? Because you were a part of it just as much as I was. Did you have a big takeaway from talking to anybody? Was there something you learned or maybe a favorite moment? Yeah, I enjoyed all of it. And I think the way we did it remotely in our respective homes is not the perfect scenario, but you know, what we're living through is not perfect, but we're making the best of it. But to me, it's a snapshot into how they're mingling together. You know, we could do it at a big auditorium and have, couple thousand fans there and the faithful there that's not really real because when they're on the stage and they're in that environment they're there to entertain a little bit it's not real the way we presented it although at times it's awkward you know to have five six guys but you know when when you're an all staff uh, all squad meeting on a teleconference that's awkward too but it's the way it's done it's the way we're communicating I'd like to be in the same room with you look you in the eyes you know, we can't do that right now. And for the football team, it's the same thing. So it was kind of interesting to be around them. And that's the way they're learning. They're not at Santa Clara on the field. They're learning remotely. And so it gave a snapshot into how they're doing it. But as far as what, what you said, my main takeaway, when we, when we did the defensive panel and the way Nick Bosa handled himself, and I talked about it on the radio after, the word I would describe is the the heat of Nick Bosa, uh, the tenacity, the determination that he has. And I came away, you, you asked most of the guys about the quote unquote hangover and how they would react to it because history shows if you get that close and don't win, it's hard to go back. Yes, New England did it recently when they lost on the Philly special, they came back. But it's hard. The other teams that have done it are way back in the 70s. But I, when I left the team on February 2nd in Miami, I felt like they're just too young to feel like, oh, we've accomplished it and we're going to step away. But you don't know. You don't know how people are going to react when they have a little success. 
so Nick Bosa in his unsolicited just uh he almost was angry at the way the season went and I'm like dude you're the best defensive player I've ever seen as a rookie (laughs) every Sunday I mean you were that good it was like he wasn't he was talking about his technique was awful and I'm like really I didn't notice you were dominant but he can be that much better but it was he's genuinely agitated that they lost that last game and you can feel it and he's a young guy if there's any guy that you had to worry about feeling entitled, it'd be him. But he's not, he's a Bosa. He's not going to feel that way. His brother's not like that. His dad wasn't that way. His uncle's not that way. So a lot of things. You know, what John said about, you know, Black Lives Matter, what Kyle said about the season and Trent Williams' athleticism and the fun we had with guys busting on each other. But really, more than anything, it was the heat. And it, there's no way to, to feel heat through these, you know, computers it's just not this is not a heat transferring communication we have right now but i don't know if you felt it but i felt from bosa like man i wouldn't want to be blocking this guy next year because you thought he was coming at you last year wait to this year he feels like unfinished business we don't want to lose that last game and they're more dwelling on the last seven minutes and 13 seconds of the season and not you know being satisfied with the rollicking ride that was the regular season, the two playoff games at Levi's, the first three quarters and five minutes, whatever it was, plus minutes to get to the, the last seven thirteen. So it was mainly the ferocity and tenacity of Nick Bosa that I felt. Uh, what I enjoyed, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I asked Nick, I said, I asked him about year two, and, and it's a scary question, but how much better can you get in year two? Because it, it's crazy when you sit back and think of it. And, and yeah, he was, it sounded like he was hard on himself, but he is just a rookie. And yeah. he hasn't even hit his ceiling yet. So just imagining what a kid like Nick Bosa could do. Uh, and, and then throwing Javon Kinlaw in that mix and seeing how he develops in this first year, which I'm very interested given this offseason that this team is having, watching this team come back together. But one of the key words that stood out to me during State of the Franchise was continuity. And using that as you head into 2020, again, nothing is going to be guaranteed for this team. They're going to have to work twice as hard to get back because there's a target on their backs now. Teams know what the 49ers are capable of. Um, but I'm very excited to see how this team with most of their starters, I think all but three starters returning in 2020 coming back and picking up from where they left off. That's what I'm excited about. But one other thing uh, really briefly that I thoroughly enjoyed, I feel like everyone really enjoys these video conferencing sessions. You saw the offensive players being light with each other, having fun. It's like, this is just what they do. It's like talking on the phone with your friend. And, and that just goes back to what you were talking about. This locker room, like the two trains coming at it, like everyone is, everyone gets along. Everyone, it, it's like a brotherhood. And, and I, that's, I don't feel like it's something that, you know, as a person that covers the team that I need to sell, this is genuine. And you see it, the way the guys interact on social media. You see the way the guys interact when they're on the field together. And, and you saw it right in front of your face during State of the Franchise. So that was one of the moments that I, I really enjoyed just it just felt genuine and not just the players even when I had uh special teams coordinator uh Richard Hightower and defensive coordinator Robert Solid together and the way they even interacted I, I just really enjoy the energy of this team totally they they like each other and it's one thing to be likable to the fan base but they, these guys are around each other so much and you know what they wear at practice I got your back and yep. I think it really is the motto of the franchise, the organization, and all the way down. And that's the way they feel. Football is such a, you know, I'll pick you up, you pick me up. And it's a, it's the ultimate team game. But I think another highlight, and it was you uh, dropping the George Kittle backdrop. <laughs> uh, George was a kid and busting on George. And then George bringing out all the different, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's. And it, it says something to who Jimmy is that, he can be kidded with 
and not take it the wrong way. I know a lot mm-hmm. of guys in sports where you could never have fun with him like that. And if you can bust on the quarterback even a little bit, like, and what are we busting on, that he's too good looking? Uh, I wish <laughs> I had that problem. But so it's, like, it's, you know, Kittle having all these pictures of him. And it's just, but it speaks to the, the kinship of how mm-hmm. they interact. And then over on defense, you know, Richard Sherman actually joined our defensive panel a little bit late because what was he doing? Being a dad with the kids, exactly. right? You know? So, but he dropped in late and he, he almost felt like dad, you know, dropping in among the young guys and, uh, you know, Fred Warner and Eric and, and Nick on that panel. So it, it's such a big factor. That's why I think the, the past of this team last year, obviously was just, to me in so many ways, the way I described last year, it was the perfect season in so many respects. The regular season, even the three games they lost, they didn't lose. They ran out of time, or they, the other guys won on a, on a last-second play. In yeah. Baltimore, the overturned Atlanta, the Seattle game went to overtime. I never left the stadium any one game thinking, they're better than the 49ers. I thought, the 49ers play them later in the year, they'll, they'll beat them. Seattle, Baltimore, I felt all of it. And then, so you had this perfect regular season. You're, you win 13 games. The three you lost, yeah, you lost, but nobody really beat you. And then you had these two rollicking home games in the playoffs. They were just, wow. They both wound up 17-point wins, but they felt like more. There was never a moment I thought they were going to lose either game. Even when Jimmy threw the one pick to Kendricks and Diggs scored for Minnesota, I never felt like they were going to lose. So your fans had this unbelievable euphoric back-to-back home playoff games. Who has that? You go to the Super Bowl and you're holding the best offense. So the 49ers were second in points. Baltimore was one. But when Kansas City's firing on the way they can fire, that's a great – that's a state-of-the-art offense. They've got 10 points with seven minutes to go in the Super Bowl, and they're facing a third and 15. This is the most perfect scenario to get to this situation. And then what happens? It's the most imperfect ending. So I think that, that the perfect setup to get there and then it gets snatched away, it's like a bad Hitchcock movie. Like, how did this happen? So you're mad. And I think they have that anger. But now into the offseason, uh, I wanted to sense what you were asking. Is there going to be a hangover? Is there going to be a sense of satisfaction? None of that. And I think part of it is they like each other. The goals have not been realized. And they're young. They've got some veterans here and there. Trent now, the new guy at left tackle. A little bit of age at some spots on the offensive line. But go around the team. They're young. On defense, you've got Sherm. But beyond that, they're young. So I think they're set up to be good in the now. And they're set up to be good in the tomorrow. And the next week, the next year. And they can. I think they know if they just don't pull against each other and you don't get into that greed and if they, they, if they keep having each other's backs and they stay reasonably healthy, even though last year they had a lot of injuries, they overcame those as well, that yeah. this team is set up to win now and tomorrow and as time goes on. And that's the ultimate situation you want to be in in pro sports. That's a good point you brought up. I want to jump on the 49ers injury history from last season. But before I do that, I want to talk about, did you see the clip? Rich Eisen was on the Rich Eisen show. And uh, his uh, co-host was going over which NFL team had the best offseason. For everyone that hasn't seen it, uh, I've got a link up on 49ers.com. But his co-host is is reading the grades from Yahoo Sports. Frank Schwab, I believe, uh, graded the 49ers with a C-. And Rich Eisen, he's like, absolutely not. They're talking about teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We know what they did, getting arguably the best quarterback uh, of our time in Tom Brady and Gronk. And they're talking about the Buffalo Bills with Stephon Diggs and, and different teams and what they've done. But Rich Eisen's argument is that a team coming off of the Super Bowl doesn't need to do much. This team has already got it. I don't, I don't want to say it's complete. They've got it together. But this team is packaged in preparation for 2020 already. Um, So they're talking about the moves the 49ers made, and and he's arguing that 
the 49ers of all these teams who made these big splashy offseason moves, these acquisitions, these trades, the 49ers are the team that had the best offseason. With that, Greg, I'm going to toss this back to you because I remember the last time you and I spoke was right before the draft. And this is before State of the Franchise. Before the draft, you and I had a talk. And we were talking about prospects that the 49ers could get with that 13th overall pick. And this is before the whole trade and everything, obviously. And you were very, very high on a specific player who actually was available at pick number 13. Now, you and I, we haven't gotten a recap since the draft, but now with everything that's said and done, I would love to know what's been your impression of this 49ers offense or offseason. Well, I mean, the, the player that I, I loved was Jerry Judy. And I thought, I thought he just had a skill set that was different than the other players in the draft where he was a, a savvy veteran NFL wide receiver technique and his route running. Where the other guys, I saw the ability to run after catch. But as I watched Jerry Judy more and more and more and more, uh, I did start to develop uh, a thought in my mind where he would not be the perfect Kyle Shanahan player. At that position, uh, yes, route running is critically important. There's no doubt. Uh, but there's other elements to it, like blocking, uh, physicality, tenacity. And there were, there were times, I'm not saying that Jerry Judy couldn't have been that kind of player, and I'll be anxious to see how Denver uses him. Uh, but he's not going to block like some other wide receivers that the 49ers have had in here, like uh, Pierre Garçon. Remember that block he had a couple of years ago? What was it the 2018 year on the long play down the left sideline? He blocked his guy like it was a blocking sled all the way to the end zone. It was like the best block you've ever seen from a wide receiver. You know, Jerry Judy's probably not going to do that. So when I looked at other players that, and I didn't know about Ayuk and that Kyle covered him as much as he wants, uh, as much as he did does, but when you look at all the things Kyle wants to run the ball, you know, they run that pin block where the wide receiver comes in motion. In the old days, you call it a crack block, and that's not really legal anymore. But he, the wide receiver comes in motion and blocks the defensive end. You know, Jerry Judy may be able to set like a basketball player screen on that, but he's not going to lay that guy out the way Brandon IU can, and I've seen him do that. So I understand what Kyle saw in Ayuk and the complete – uh, skill set of a wide receiver. Uh, Kinlaw, I, I was on. Uh, there's no doubt. And I liked him even possibly better than Derek Brown. Uh, I'm not sure. Derek Brown, I think, is such a big, huge man. He reminded me more like a, a Sam Adams or a Ted Washington from years ago, where this is a 320, 30 pound man that, you know, how much twitch does he have? Quick twitch to get up the field. And then when you look at Kinlaw, Keon, he's almost the same size. Uh, as Derek Brown, who went much earlier in the draft, but he's got more juice, more three technique, get up the field. So the way I would assess it, uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And I think ultimately when we look back on this draft, we'll assess they could have drafted Jerry Judy. They could have drafted CeeDee Lamb. Uh, you know, if these guys go to the Hall of Fame, then we're going to look at it differently. But yeah. Kyle is a high-level talent evaluator. So is John Lynch. So is Adam Peters, Martin Mayhew, all of them. They know what they're doing. So if they identified, and I think one thing in the state of the franchise that John did admit to me, John Lynch, was there were three players uh, that they wanted that were there for them to take at 13. There were three that were there. And I think just by putting all of their quotes together, the three were Javon Kinlaw, Brandon Ayuk and CeeDee Lamb, possibly. CeeDee, Kyle kind of said it was right there. So let's right. say mm -hmm. they got two of the three. Now, so you evaluate the board. You evaluate who you like. Now it's a poker game. Now we're going to put on dark glasses. We're going to play Texas Hold'em. I'm not going to tell you what I want. I'm, you know, you don't know Joe Staley's going to retire. We're going to play this game. So how do I manipulate the board? Well, you know, when the Super Bowl ended, they had the 31st overall pick in the draft. That was it. Now you trade to Forrest, you have 13. Now I got 13 and 31. How do I get these two guys? I went at the end of this first round. What I want is Javon Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk, if you're John Lynch. So how do I play poker and get that? Well, I dropped from 13 to 14 with Jason Light in Tampa Bay. I get an extra later pick. 
that I can put into a package that can move me up from 31 to 25. When I see Ayuk still there, Jalen Rager went to Philadelphia 21, you know, now I can play that board. So we'll evaluate it five years from now, 10 years from now, 15, when some of these guys are getting gold jackets. If they identified, and they did, Kinlaw and Ayuk, then they got the two guys that they masterfully played the poker board that is the draft <laughs> of the first round to go back one spot, to go up six spots. Now, ultimately, we'll decide over time if they evaluated the right players. And, you know, John uh, Lynch's good friend, John Elway, took uh, Jerry Judy right after the 49ers 13-14 drop back. He went 15. So we'll see. So uh, th you can always have a debate about football players. But I don't think you can debate right now. They identified who they wanted, and they got those two guys. So I think John's got to get an A-plus for how he managed the board to get the two guys that he wanted to get in the first round. He used the best word. They masterfully got what they wanted out of this draft. When you look at being able to have your eye on two different guys. You come in essentially with just that 31st overall pick. You get that 13th, move back, and then come move back up to get the guy yeah. you want. And then, just going to throw it in there, and then getting the news of Joe Staley and being able to get Trent Williams going from one Pro Bowl talent to another. I mean, Rich Eisen brought it up actually in his talk, in his chat, uh, talking about how uh, Rams head coach Sean McVay is like, how? How did this even happen? Uh, so, an incredible job by John Lynch, which we will actually see this play out over the next few years. You know, you can't necessarily evaluate a draft one year, two years after it, but uh, definitely excited to see how these young players play out throughout their career with the 49ers. Um, since this is the You've Got Mail podcast, we have to dive into some fan questions. And I mean, that's why everybody's here, right? So you can submit yeah. your questions for myself, Greg Popo, our weekly special guest at 49ers.com slash mailbag. This podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the official below the waist grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. All right, Greg, we're going to jump right into the mailbag and I'm going to jump into a hot topic. All right. It might get us in a little bit of trouble here, but Jamal Adams rumor. I mean, requested to be traded from the Jets. Uh, he named the 49ers as a team of choice. So I'm going to take this question from Tyler Clamber from Hubert Hubbard, North Carolina. We got some fans in North Carolina uh, yeah. doing those questions. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Jamal Adams rumors? And how realistic is it that the 49ers acquire such an asset? Well, the reason it's a rumor is Jamal Adams asked for a trade. Jamal Adams identified teams he wanted to be traded to. And the 49ers are on that list. Uh, I loved him coming out in the draft. I remember his father as a running back with the New York Giants. Plays different position, obviously. Jamal Adams is a great, great player. There is no doubt. Uh, he has a unique skill set. There's no doubt. Uh, he's more of the traditional in-the-box type of safety. Uh, he's a great blitzer. And with the New York Jets, Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, is known for his exotic overload blitzes. And their number one sacker last year came from the third level of the defense. Jamal Adams had six and a half sacks. That's unusual. So he's, he can do anything you want with him. He can man-match tight ends. If you ever get into a situation again where you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs in a big football game, uh, you could put Jamal Adams on Travis Kelsey and say, take him all day uh, if you wanted to do that. 49ers don't typically play that way, but they could with this kind of a special talent on, on both sides, Kelsey and then a the guy you got to take away. So he's, there's not a flaw to his game. So how do you get him? Well, Joe Douglas, the Jets GM, I think he is open to trading him. I think he's got to be a little miffed by that this young player in the middle of his rookie deal. And I know he's overachieved it, but there's a process in this league uh, that he's been so outspoken. So if you wanted to engage him, wh what is the compensation you have to pay to get him as far as draft picks and players? To me, that would be excessive. Uh, so it's willing to have a conversation, but I think the bigger hurdle later on would be how do you pay him? Uh, at the end of this, you've got to satisfy this player. Otherwise, he's going to hold out on you as the same. You know, maybe you'll want to play under the current rookie deal with the 49ers because they're a great team. 
but maybe he won't. And that's part of the reason that he's, he wants out. So can you afford Kim and redo George's deal and look at what Trent Williams has and the possibility of a rollback on the salary cap next yeah. year based on the economic huge question mark we have this year? So there's a lot of factors. Is he a, a player you'd engage in trade talk? Hell yeah, he's a great player. How do you get him? What do you have to give up to get him? It's going to be excessive. And then uh, how do you pay him? So I'm sure they're doing their due diligence on all of this, but I would put it in the category for right now of highly unlikely. Now that may change. You know, maybe a year from now, the Jets still have him and he's still out there. And, you know, the, 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 the want of Joe Douglas is less now because I got an unhappy guy. You know, maybe that's something you kick down the road. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr., I think, is a similar thing. The 49ers wanted to be in on those talks, right. but they couldn't quite pull it off. They haven't done it yet. Doesn't mean they'll never do it. So I would think as far as the here and now, it's unlikely. But that's something to file away. And if you're a 49er fan and you want to look at Jamal Adams' tape, uh, NFL's giving it to you now for free. Go look at him. I mean, he's a fantastic football player. There's no doubt he's that good of a player. Now, as you're saying this, I'm looking at the amount of the number of guys that the 49ers have to pay next season. Not only are you trying to lock down George Kittle, but you do have guys like Trent Williams up next. And it's like actually a long list of guys who are set to hit free agency. And you got to look at also uh, the 49ers cornerbacks. I believe not oh. one will be yeah. on the roster or is uh, under contract heading into next no. season. So it's gonna be look, you know, you you say Richard Sherman's one, uh Kwan Williams is one. Mm -hmm. uh, Kwan's one of the most underrated slot corners. Absolutely. And that that's a hard position to find. Those guys make money. Corners make money, the guys that can go in the slot make money. He's fantastic. They love him. And then Witherspoon and Mosley, so the four main guys, I think there'll be other guys that'll push for a roster spot uh this year. But you're right, none of those are under contract. So uh, I don't, you mean, the one thing about the NFL is you can't pay them all. Otherwise, DeForest Buckner would still be a 49er. Absolutely. If this was like baseball or basketball where you had a, 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 there's a cap there kind of, but they're soft caps. If ownership wants to absorb luxury tax, penalty, or they call it in baseball, competitive balance tax, they would, the 49ers would do that. In the NFL, there's a hard cap. This year, you cannot go a nickel over $198.2 million. That's it. It's different. So you can't pay them all. So to your point, yeah. And then how would that look if you let some of these guys go that are part of the brotherhood and I got your back and got you there to go get a Jamal Adams? I mean, maybe yeah. you do that one day. But I think, you know, that, that, that's how locker rooms get splintered apart. Where we're not paying to keep our own. We're going to bring in. This guy's a great player. I understand that. So there's, there's a lot of guys you need to pay. And some of these, they're not going to be able to keep them all. That's the hard part, as we learned from default, Kiana. Because of the mathematics of this league, you can't keep them all. That's a prime example right there. Uh, you brought up uh, two names as we were talking about, 49ers cornerbacks, two guys that will be battling for that starting cornerback spot opposite Richard Sherman and Emmanuel Mosley and Akella Witherspoon, both who are not under contract next year. but I'd said that because I wanted to transition to someone else's question with training camp right around the corner. I mean, there'll be a lot of position battles. Um, the league announced that training camp is expected to start on time, which is set for July 28th. Haley from San Jose wants to know, uh, will San Francisco keep three quarterbacks on its roster again this season? Or do you think Kyle and John might look to move on from Nick Mullins or CJ Beathard and needs to fill other areas on the roster? No, I think in this world that we're living in now, with this virus out among us, uh, I think this is one year uh, that you want to have three, to be sure. sure. The 49ers have three. Uh, some teams have two on the roster, one on the practice squad. But I, I honestly think uh, you may want to have three on the roster and a fourth on the practice squad. Uh, you may want to have another one, a phone call away. Uh, one thing about this virus 
is when it's around a concentrated of uh, people, whether it's a penitentiary, a, a assisted living environment, a cruise ship, a weight room and a college environment, uh, a lot of people get it, not just one or two, but a high percentage of people. So what, what do you do if you have an outbreak of one position? Uh, and quarterback, I'm not going to say it's any more important than any other position, but it, it kind of is because it's the, it's the nerve center of the offense. And if you lose your quarterback, what do you do? And you know how many guys have uh, knowledge of the way the offense works, the, the, the playbook? So uh, it may not be these three, but I think you want three. And I do think they, they, they like these guys. I know they do. And they've had they've had overtures to trade them at other junctures. Now you are in a contract situation where you know time is running out on your control over these guys, but uh, I don't see them making a change right now. And I didn't feel that way anyway. But I think in the world we're living in, with this virus, certainly a big part of how you plan your roster and all the rooms. Uh, I think you want to have as many capable people to play that position than ever. So I, I think you want three maybe, and maybe you want to have a fourth on the practice squad and then a guy, a phone call away. Cause what happens if you have an outbreak in the quarterback room? That's a fabulous point because I didn't really think about how much of this pandemic will necessarily affect the depth along certain positions. I would have assumed coming into the season that, you know, we saw what Jimmy is capable of and Kyle has doubled down on, on his, faith that Jimmy can take it to the next level next year so in my mind I believe that it's a possibility the 49ers could maybe unload one of their quarterbacks but when you make that point it makes a lot of sense and then also with that being said this is the first year that now the 53-man roster is no longer 53 it's been bumped up to 55 so you now have a, a little it's not a lot but you still have a little more wiggle room than you had had seasons prior and this could be one of the the options and one of the ways totally. that you're able to stash another quarterback and the practice squad also went from 10 to 12 this right. year talk about expanding the practice squad from 12 to 16 in light about what i'm talking about uh so i you know i don't even know what the roster i think we may have more uh i mean look at what major league baseball is doing they've expanded their roster to 30 but they've also got another 30 that are available. Now, baseball is different because you have a minor league system and you, you own these guys anyway. But, I, you know, I don't even know, uh, you know, when we cut from 90 down to 75 to 55, I, I think you may want to keep more players on the roster uh, that know your system. Uh, and whether or not, you know, in the quarterback room, if, say, you go to 16 in the practice squad, maybe you want to keep two on the roster and then two more on the practice squad. So there's ways to play with it. But I think in light of what's going on, uh, the way you build your roster and who you have on your roster roster and then who is at your ready list that you can get to. But if you don't put them on your roster, some other team may put them on their roster. Now they got them. So yeah, I, I think in this special circumstance we're living with uh, during this pandemic, uh, roster composition and roster depth is going to be way more important than any other year and also not just the virus these guys have not been in football uniform they haven't put cleats right. on so i think you're gonna have a soft tissue injury kind of situation when they go to camp where guys are just gonna get calves and you know pulls and mm -hmm. it's gonna slow people back so i think it, all of it you got to anticipate just a, a wave of all different types of maladies coming into play where you, you got to be deep. And I saw that last year in the preseason, the 49ers, maybe they were behind at halftime in preseason games, but they were deeper than other teams. They win the game in the second half, third quarter, fourth quarter, and that shows the depth of the team. And we also had a lot of injuries last year all over the team, and the depth came into play. So I think it serves that the, the strength of the team also is how deep they are. This was a perfect segue into a question from Carlos Acosta from Fayetteville, North Carolina, another North Carolina in wow. joining in. Appreciate you guys. Um, great question. And this is right along the lines of what we're talking about when we're discussing the roster expanding from 53 to 55 and then also the injuries from last season. But how is center Weston Richburg? And then 
is Ben Garland the number two center or would they move Daniel Brunskill over from right guard in case of injury? How do you see this playing out for San Francisco this year? Well, Richburg's important. I mean, the center in his own blocking scheme is critically important. And I, I don't think Weston's been completely healthy since he's gotten here. I think he's been playing with uh, he's got he's got you know some existing injuries in his knees. His last year with the Giants, he had a head trauma concussion. Uh, but he's a terrific player, and you uh, center's important in any scheme you want to run. But really, it's important in the zone blocking scheme as far as hitting landmarks. Uh, it's also critically important in your pass protection, uh, and that's one area I think the 49ers need to improve from last year is protecting Jimmy less sacks, less hits, and in particular, in the middle of the offensive line. Um, you know, he got hurt last year, and you want to keep him healthy, so he's critical. As far as the backup position, uh, before you start to pencil Brunskill in as your backup center, I think he's got a chance to be your starting right guard. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of the, uh, the main battles going into training camp. You talked about the opposite corner opposite to Sherman between Akella Witherspoon and Emmanuel Mosley, that's a critical position because they're going to attack that guy. They're, they're afraid of Sherman. They've shown that. So that guy's got to get a lot of volume of balls. You've got to be strong there. You're only as strong as your weakest spot. So you, you can roll coverage to help him a little bit, but that spot's key. And I think the one, if I had to go through, I could, I could pretty much tell you who's going to start you know, outside of injuries. And we don't want any injuries, obviously. I'm knocking on wood here. But the, the right guard and the opposite corner of Sherman are going to be huge. Yeah. Um, and I, so I think Brunskill is going to be in the mix. Tom Copton, there are the people there. Uh, but Richburg is critically important, his health, and just a strong base. I think he played a lot the last couple of years and necessarily wasn't at his best with his legs. We didn't know he was going to make the opener last year in Tampa. Right. Until the game. He didn't play at all in the preseason. So having him strong and sturdy is so critical uh, in his mind of what he does there. Uh, we'll see. There's other people you can move around there. I think Garden would be the guy going into it. But, you, you know, you'd like to have a – the way you look at it is you want to have a swing interior guy, a guy that could back up uh, at center and, and both guard spot if you had to. you got to have a backup guy that can snap the ball if the center goes down in the middle of a game. But you like to have versatility there uh, to be able to, to move people around. And you were talking about the roster going from 55. Uh, there's also an advantage if you could have an eighth offensive lineman up on game day for the mm -hmm. composition of Sunday. So you want to swing tackle, uh, and we'll see who ultimately that's going to be. They are going to get Sean Coleman back, but other people could compete with him. He got hurt last year. He wasn't available to do it. So you want to swing tackle. Uh, you want a backup center. You want a guy that could also swing inside. So, uh, But I, I wouldn't put Brunskill necessarily into the mix at backup center. Because I think he stands a good chance, and I think he's going to go into camp competing to be the starting right guard. Right, I wholeheartedly agree with that. A couple, there's quite a few. Well, not quite a few, but but you brought up corner and you brought up right guard. Are, are we missing any other standout competitions that we can look forward to? Uh, well, we're now in July, so <laughs> that we can look forward to later on this month. I mean, yeah, I. I mean, how's, how's the base? I mean, your, your defensive line is different in your base yeah, versus yeah. your, your sub-package. Uh, I, I think the huge question mark is D Ford's health. And uh, if D Ford is a full-goal, healthy guy, the way he was in 2018, his last year in Kansas City, mm -hmm. then I think he can be not only certainly in your nickel, but he could be in your base. And if he's in your base, then your two defensive ends are D. Ford and Nick Bosa, which means Armstead could slide inside. I think that's not just a health uh, evaluation with D, but where's Armstead at his best? Do you want him as a base end? And then D may you know, come in. Or if D's good enough, so you're, you're competing with people like Kinlaw. So when you look at D. Ford, if he's in the base, we move Armstead inside, so then you're comparing Ford really to Kinlaw, Ford versus DJ Jones. So there's a there's a battle inside there among those guys. So I think the comp is I think I know what the nickel's gonna be. What's the base gonna be is how healthy is D 
and D versus Kinlaw, D versus DJ Jones, DJ Jones versus Kinlaw. You're gonna wind up rotating them all. Uh, you know, a healthy Quan next year versus uh, Dre Greenlaw, now in his second year Another in the one. system, is so better. Uh, I think they would be your three linebackers in your base. It's Sam and Will. In your sub package, how does that play out? Uh, I think there's even a discussion about Jaquaski Tart at safety. I think he would be the guy, but some of these other young safeties could make a push. Uh, no guarantee there. And also health is a big part of it. So yeah. a lot, lot of things. I think a lot of, you know, wide receiver room. You know, now what happens? You don't have Emmanuel Sanders. Debo's a question mark with a Jones fracture. Richie's got the wrist. Is Ayuk, is he going to start as a rookie? Is he that good? That's, you know, I know he's good, but that's hard. You know, so where's Kendrick versus the other guys, other young guys that are coming back? So, and, you know, we would have more of an idea about this had there been true on-field organized team activities. We'd right. be able to assess. That looks good. Look at his body. Look at what he has. And they're, how are they subbing him in? You could tell. We get tips by, wow, Robert Sala's using, Kacerik's using uh, D Moore in the base here. So that's kind of a hint. There's been no OTAs. They're all doing it via Zoom. We don't know. So when they go to training camp, I think a lot of this is, that's the beauty of a football team. You have these individual skills, and then you put it all together like a jigsaw puzzle and sub packages and you, you piece it and right now we don't have an idea what they're thinking because we're not watching it so i think there are more question marks in the base and the nickel uh based on just availability injury so to me it's still an ongoing work in progress you don't know yet absolutely and the picture is going to become much clearer at least for us uh once training camp comes rolling around we haven't been able to see this team during otas and mini camp so I, I think we all kind of have these, these questions of, of how will this team look on those base downs, on nickel downs. And I will say, as you brought it up, I do believe last year, I will say, the position group I was most intrigued by was the defensive line. And that's because of bringing in D Ford and having Nick Bosa. How will these two perform together? Both of them did not play in the preseason due to injury, came back in the regular season. So that was one of the position groups that I was excited yeah. about coming into this year, I will say it will be the wide receivers. You're without Emmanuel Sanders. Yes. This time last year, we did not have them or have him, but seeing how that group developed over that season, once he joined uh, before that trade deadline, and then how does Brandon Ayuk, how does he fit? Does he get those starting reps as a rookie? How does he, you know, understanding Kyle's playbook, how is he able to adapt with that, not having those physical reps, not until summertime, just months before giving that limited time? So that's one of the position groups that I think I'm most excited to see uh, come training camp. Is there one that you're eyeing more than others? No, that's, that's clearly one. There's no doubt. I mean, for a great team, the defending NFC champions do not really know what the wide receiver room is, is unusual. But there's factors for that. And uh, Trent Taylor, where is he at? You know, we didn't see him at all last year. His second year off the back injury, he wasn't great. His rookie year, though, the way he jived with Jimmy, especially in the slot yeah. on third down. But Trent Taylor's healthy. He's a factor. Dante he had a Pettis, great camp. Totally. I mean, before he got the Jones last year, Taylor was maybe the best receiver on the team. Dante Pettis, the time is now. You've you got to start making a move. And if we're also talking about that, that – group and we get down to five maybe six we got to cut or trade you got to step up now the opportunities there with the Debo injury Richie injury yep. uh heard that first preseason game last year against the Cowboys he was the best he had two touchdowns where's he at uh Travis Benjamin no one talks about him I saw that guy a lot in the NFL he's a good player he's had some injury so what can he be so I think you're right on. I, I think uh, I think we kind of know how the rest of it's going to work with the exception of one or two spots here and there. But the wide receiver room, I mean, who knows how it's going to how it's going to go down? Marquise Goodwin's gone. Emmanuel Sanders is gone. Debo is he going to be able to make the opening bell for the start of the year against Arizona on September 13th? And if he can't, then you tell me. I mean, you could pick 
two starting wide receivers right now. I could pick two others, and we could all be, we could both be wrong, and it wouldn't be right. any of the four for who might start on opening day. We have nearly so, and for a team that's coming off being the number one seed of the conference champions, tell me when that's ever happened. So, without question, the wide receiver composition is going to be the biggest question mark going into camp. We got a lot to look forward to over these next 30 days until camp starts. But, Greg, honestly, I feel like you and I, we can sit here and talk for hours about 49ers football. Uh, it's great to have you on. Uh, we appreciate your insight. We appreciate having you here on the 49ers. You've got mail podcast sponsored by Manscaped. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let you get out of here. We're going to have to have you back soon. Don't, don't think this is a one and done. We got to have you back on the podcast. There's other people I'm connected with this franchise that are far more interesting than me. So I'm sure you'll find others, but I'm disappointed that it's over. <laughs> I could go another hour with you. I honestly could Because all the, the conversation we just had, I'm going to have with myself in my mind. <laughs> I'm going to go practice my touchdown call. I got nothing else to do. So whenever you want to talk 49er football, you know, it's my passion. Kiana. So if you have Garoppolo all lined up for one week and Jimmy calls and says, oh, I got this meeting, Kyle called me and I can't make it, then I could be your backup in any position. I can look to you. Good I, to I, know. I, whenever you need me. Whenever you need me. Good to know. I mean, I don't know if Jimmy can bring this type of knowledge and oh. expertise that you just did. He's a great guy. He's Come very on. knowledgeable. He's the quarterback. You're Greg Papa. You're He's also Greg Papa. Face. Yeah, I, I <laughs> and as far as you know, uh, we got mail. I'm the one guy, and you know this. I'm the only guy left on earth that still has the AOL account. So, I, I I do. You got mail? I actually do have that. I got mail. I got that. Greg, I'm I'm going to um, out myself here. I still have my AOL email account too. So you're not you? the only one. That is Are why we get along so well. When I well, how could somebody so young? You I mean you're way younger than me? I'm going through oh. my email. Do you, you have AOL at the end of your? I, I have know. AOL. I pro I will you email do? you right after this. We're the last two in the world. We might be the last two. I remember that dial-up sound. You remember that screeching dial-up to log on? <laughs> yes, I do. I do. Well, you know why? I'm just so lazy. I never wanted to change it to Gmail or anything. Because then, how do you do yeah. that? I got to send an email to everybody, and why am I going to go yeah. through it? Yeah, it's a pain, but you know, hey, it no, still you are works. It's good to know that, Kiana. It still works. That's why we get yeah. along so well. Greg, as yeah. always, pleasure having you. Thanks so much for joining us on the 49ers You Got Mail podcast sponsored by Manscaped. Make sure you guys tune in to 49ers.com to see more of 49ers content, more of Greg Papa's touchdown calls, and uh, more of State of the Franchise, anything you may have missed as we look ahead to training camp later this summer. Greg, appreciate you, and we will be in talks very soon. Touchdown! Bang, bang, not again! <laughs> I can't wait till football season. <laughs> Be good. See you soon. Hopefully. Hopefully. See you soon.